this is Ro. Welcome back to I Talk Shit and Read. And today we have a special guest, the author Kaylin Barron, who just recently released Cinderella is Dead, one of my favorite picks for the month of July. <laughs> and if you haven't picked it up, well, the real question here is why haven't you? Hi, Kaylin. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. And, and, well, I saw the cover of Cinderella's mm-hmm. Dead when the cover rule of it went out. I was like, okay, I don't really care what this, I, I would like to read that. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, on one level, when you think about it, sometimes it really is just what's the reaction people have to the visual that they want to give to your book. Right. And it's don't judge a book by its cover, but you can go on ahead and judge this one by the cover. I mean, the the work that Manzi Jackson did for this cover, it just blew me away. It was he just he knocked it out of the park. He did such a fabulous job. Yeah, I, yeah. I ended up having cover envy for the, the UK cover. So I'm expecting <laughs> delivery. Oh, yes. <laughs> I need to have and I have not. I haven't seen that one in person yet. I don't have like physical copies but um yeah I just put like the the picture of it on my iPad just so I could look at it and I was just like I don't know what I did to be so lucky to have these two covers but I just I do I feel really lucky okay you don't I know what you did (laughs) you wrote this daggone book (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean okay So we kind of jumped in a little just talking about the cover. If you had to give an elevator pitch to somebody, how would you describe Cinderella's dad to them? It is queer black girls team up to overthrow the patriarchy in the former kingdom of Cinderella. That is my like quick pitch. And if that doesn't grab you, I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) I mean, okay. But so for me, I read the original, I was like, Oh, okay. So it's not Cinderella, Cinderella, because the thing that I love about retellings or reimaginings is dropping somebody into a world that they really know, but then telling them everything that you think you know about this world is a lie or everything that you've ever had presented to you is the things that were important in this world weren't the things that really matter. And right. and the way that you built this story with around Sophia, it's 200 years later. So no one can say, and you know, there those purists out there mm-hmm. that are like, <laughs> how can you mess with Cinderella? You're like, easily. Watch me. Yeah, they're, yep, they're writing my DMs. Let me know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not a, a, a Cinderella retelling that kind of hits those same familiar beats. So I tried to kind of get around doing that because I didn't I didn't want to just do a black Cinderella. I wanted to kind of deconstruct the Cinderella story itself. And so this was kind of my way of, of doing that. Well, I greatly appreciate it. I mean, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Grimm's fairy tales. I love folklore. I love myths. I love legends. Mm-hmm. But very rarely do they ever blow out the world outside of the little bubble around whoever's going to be the prince at the end right when you were building this world and you were thinking about the elements from Cinderella's the known story that you wanted to kind of play around with which ones kind of resonated with you first yeah so you know I love fairy tales too that's um I grew up you know the late 80s and the 90s and that was kind of that that peak princess Disney princess anyway era and but before that you know it was I loved to read I had a like a collected works of I I found it at some thrift shop I think my mom found it and it was just a bunch of old like it had Cinderella but it was like a a weird like older version and um did you find a sister's grimmer 
right? <laughs> See? Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, um, yeah. So, you know, the, so the things that stick out to me the most about the Cinderella story out, you know, if you're looking at this story, the Disney version, um, because that's the, that's the one that I chose to kind of deconstruct because there are so many versions of Cinderella. But in that story, you know, it's very heteronormative. It's very patriarchal. It's very, um, and the villainous women, you know, this step family that um, is just so cruel to Cinderella. I, you know, I was drawn to those aspects of the story. And that's, I knew that that's how I wanted to kind of get into it. I wanted to, um, to look at those women and to look at those societal constructs and see how the fairy tale itself you know, if I create this world where people believe that this was a real thing that happened, how would that kind of affect people living there? And then how would it affect somebody who doesn't want a prince for any reason um, and maybe is in love with, you know, her friend, um, you know, her best girlfriend? And, you know, what what kind of effects does do that have? You know, will that have on people like that in this society? So, yeah, just those those kind of things that that, you know, happily ever after, you know, you're you don't really have any value in until you meet Prince Charming and he kind of takes you away from everything and then that's it. So it just, there's a lot of things to deconstruct within that story. Yeah. Well, I personally like the ones and how you chose to do it. I'm always a fan of a book that immediately opens up with a unique sense of urgency and <clears throat> you begin Cinderella is Dead with Sophia getting her invitation and mm -hmm. I'm not going to spoil because I'm, I'm dead ass going to tell everybody to buy this book. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that I really liked about it is because you you built in a way to tell us about the world. Now, I'm greedy, so I wanted more world building. I freely mm -hmm. acknowledge and admit I'm greedy. But you wrote such a, a clean, tight narrative entry into this kingdom of Lily. And you, you gave us an immediate juxtaposition that really feels like it belongs in a fairy tale story. You know, you've got this star-crossed love, which, you know, after you've yeah. been Aaron for a little while, you're like, okay, stay on your balcony. But, <laughs> but... So you have angst, you have fear, but you also have this sense of, I know who I am and I know what I'm willing to give to live in this society. And I know what I'm willing, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm, and right. I, you know, I get what my parents want me to do, but I'm tired of people telling me I'm selfish because I'm unwilling to break who I am in order for them to be able to make me bend to fit what they need. And it's very right. rarely that that is the starting point for a heroine, especially a 16 year old. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I think that sometimes we have these ideas about what queer stories look like. And that's, you know, that's not really through any fault of our own. That's more just about what the market is telling us, you know, queer stories look like. And it almost always involves some kind of coming out, some kind of realization, some, something very painful a lot of the times happens to kind of talk about that coming out narrative. There is definitely still a place for that. Those are still needed sometimes, um, you know, depending on how they're done. And so it's not a knock on that, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to start this 
story with Sophia, who already knows, you know, who she is and what she wants. Her parents know it, her friends know it. But there's this other thing that happens when you come out and it's, you know, you come out to the people maybe closest to you or your friends or, and then you have this other thing that happens where you have to figure out, okay, how do I navigate in society? Because Obviously, you know, there's a lot going on there with the dynamic and just being queer existing in the world. And I know that's something that I went through and I'm still going through, still trying to figure out how society kind of responds to who I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted for Sophia. I kind of wanted her to already know, okay, this is what I want. And I know that this society is not going to allow me to just be, to just exist. And her grandmother kind of plays a role in her kind of her her mindset the way she thinks about what's going on in this kingdom and so she you know i i just i really wanted her to be empowered from the beginning and it was important to kind of show how this society has affected the different kind of queer people that live there um because we have sophia but we also have aaron we also have luke you know society has <clears throat> has left its mark on all of them in different ways from the beginning i knew that i wanted her to be empowered you know right from the start but I wanted to illustrate, you know, how it still continues to be a battle, even when you know who you are and, and what you want, you know, it's still, um, it's still a constant struggle. Yeah, that makes, I mean, we live yeah. in a world where we've normalized and then created an expectation of people sharing all aspects of who they are a certain extent. I was looking online today and that young man, makes, I feel old every time I say that. When I don't remember someone's name or their age, I feel like I should, you know, err on the side of respectfulness. <laughs> He was a contestant on The Voice. He's also been on um, the Terrell show as a frequent person to come on sing. Today he came out and he stated equivocally on his 25th birthday that he's bisexual. And I was just like, baby, we've seen your videos, we know. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the other aspect of it is when I looked at it, there were people, that's his business. I don't know we need how we need to do this. I was like, because there's a reason he's telling you. He's telling you because there's something that he's wanted to do that he doesn't have, quote, permission to do unless he gives you that part of his resume. Because right. we've kind of created this world that if you want to be included in things, you have to, there has to be a certain willingness that you have to give up. And I like the fact that your story just made it so very concrete that this is a world where all of these people exist. And, you know, I don't have to get up and no one has to have that moment of declaration. I like the fact that the moment that you gave between Sophie and Luke, we're not going to, I really don't want to say mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Damn it. But a part of it was um, him trying to give her enough code to right. let her understand that they could have a conversation as compatriots on right. multiple levels without him right. feeling like she had to give up her sense of safety to have that conversation with him. Right. And he, you know, and that just comes from not, you know, I did not want Sophia to be outed in any situation in this story. It was, you know, that, that is traumatizing. That is, um, that leaves a mark. And I just, for this narrative, that was not something I wanted to do, but I wanted to give Sophia an opportunity to kind of recognize like, okay, I'm, you know, I can be, I'm safe with this person. I'm safe with things that I, that I want to say. So, you know, that, yeah. And, and, you know, and Luke is, um, he provides that for her while also being vulnerable himself. And that, um, yeah, that dynamic there, that friendship is just, is one of my favorite 
parts of this story. Yeah. I also liked it because I frequently get very annoyed with the uh, illogical um, solution when there's a rational way to go forward to like saving yourself <laughs> that's like staring everybody in the face. Mm-hmm. And, and when I first started reading this book, I was like, please don't turn this into an origin story. Please. And then I was like, oh, it's not mm-hmm. an origin story. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and I hate it when like um, you start doing negative reading. The, mm-hmm. what I don't want to see, what I'm really hoping for, because that means I'm not reading the book you gave me. And mm-hmm. Cinderella is Dead kind of gave you permission to just let all of that go. You, I'm, you're maybe 20 pages in, and if you haven't figured out by now, any preset you had should be thrown away, then, mm-hmm. well, then you're just slow. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and so you move the characters forward very quickly, but you didn't leave anything behind. So the narrative and the relationship that you established between Sophia and her parents, continued to grow and you used it to to lay these these you know some people might you might get triggered because it's a little insidious Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the relationship between her mother and her mother is talking to her in code Mm -hmm. and she's refusing to hear her patently refusing to hear anything her mother is telling her and later in the book you get a reason why her mother is so frustrated with her but you also understand why Sophia remained naive even by 16 because her parents made a choice to not let her fully participate in something that happened Mm -hmm. in order to protect her psyche as a child right and you know this is where you run into the narrative of um how many problems could have been avoided if parents hadn't tried to shelter their children or pretend that something's not happening if we don't let you see it? Yeah, that, you know, that relationship that Sophia has with her parents, you know, it's something that I struggled with because, you know, my, like my dad is, you know, he was, um, he was just a very supportive man and he was there to listen and, you know, talk things out. And I think that Sophia's father loves her very much, but he is not willing to challenge any of the kind of laws or rules or, you know, kind of unspoken things that are that are put in place in this um, in this kingdom. He is just not willing to even try to address the root of the problem and her mother you know her mother also loves her very much but again is not willing to not only is she not willing to think of any kind of way that they could get out of this or that they could do something else but she also is you know encourages Sophia to go along with it Sophia's happiness is not a priority it's not even on the list of things that they really want for her they only want her to be safe they only want her to be alive but she's not really safe anyway. There's, you know, and I think that I tried to kind of illustrate that too, that just because she, you know, she could possibly be paired up with someone doesn't mean she's safe. We see what happens with Aaron and with the seamstress. You're not safe um, just because you now are, you know, paired up with someone. So yeah, it's that, that parental kind of relationship was very tough, but I think it was necessary to kind of show how people who, you know, people can participate in these, these ways of being that are, oppressive to you in the guise of keeping you safe and keeping you happy. And it's just not, it just, it doesn't work like that. Right. I like the ways that you kind of, well, I don't know if like is the appropriate way, but (laughs) (laughs) I found the choices you made in wanting to be very clear about the unsafeness of the environment that they found themselves in, because it's very easy to miss, but because I grew up in the 80s into the 90s as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel really old, but... uh, (laughs) 
But it's interesting when you see certain myths kind of run forward because the first time that anybody really truly challenged Cinderella was ever after. Like big, mm-hmm. you know, big level we challenge the dominant paradigm of Cinderella. And then even they only pushed it, but so far. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the elements that they added were, you know, she still is able to speak from a place of privilege to power. I was like, how she didn't get the taste smacked out of her on that bridge. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then they, they, they kind of reset the level of her indentured servitude versus actual house staff who were considered sellable as property. And they still Mm -hmm. played into the evil stepmother, evil stepsisters. We basically, you know, they tried to make it a little softer by saying this was mostly, you know, she didn't know what to do because she came here to be safe by getting married and he drops dead in the driveway. But your story is the very first time like in a literary setting with as a foundational part of the world that somebody played with the concept that was taught to a lot of young girls and into adulthood that is the root of the whole just lie back Mm -hmm. and you know just take it you know that part of it to me is I wanted to keep the Cinderella story intact within this other story because I wanted to explore how fairy tales that we're told you know even in our everyday lives you know we because we're exposed to these stories from the jump right like we like i you know you're reading these stories to kids when they're toddlers how does a story like that affect who we become or how we see the world how we see our place in it i've said this you know a couple times um before but i i used to i used to be a preschool teacher for like 10 years and god bless i would (laughs) And I would see, you know, and I've I've worked with all ages of kids, but, you know, I was a a teacher in a four-year-old classroom and there was a dress-up area and there are costumes, there's Cinderella, there's Snow White. And I have seen with my own two eyes, a young girl, a young white girl, tell another student, a black student, that she can't dress up as Cinderella, that she can't be Cinderella because that's because she doesn't look like her or because she doesn't, um, you know, she she just doesn't look like Cinderella. So she doesn't even, this little girl, even in her imagination cannot be the princess. And these, these kids are getting these stories. I shut that down, by the way, just, I just have to say that. But um, these, these kids, four years old, already have this concept of what it means to be a princess and or what it means to be the hero of a story or, you know, and then also who doesn't have access to that. They also have an idea of who they think shouldn't be allowed access to that story. So what does this story do to us when we're hearing it, when we're retelling it? Like, what is that? What effect does that have? And so that was one, that's one of the biggest themes of Cinderella is Dead is kind of that story is used almost as propaganda. And how then does that affect you know the women of this kingdom and um yeah it's pretty devastating that's one of the things that i really liked about this because you made that you made that message kind of accessible on both sides of the line again luke you know what if you don't want the princess what if you've never wanted the what if you don't want to be the prince not just do you not want to what if you don't want to be that guy or anybody like that guy apparently when i was really young i told my mom that i wanted to have enough kids to have my own defensive line because my favorite football <laughs> team was trash and she was like um she's like do you know what that means I was like I got it means I gotta have a lot of babies I gotta have them close together so they can grow up and be uh, uh, the D-line and she was like I don't think you understand what you're gonna start babysitting Mm-mm. she's like okay breeder but <laughs> 
because my mom read us the bookshelf from Boys and Girls. You know, we saw all of the original Disney. We got to see the Disney Sunday movie when it came on TV. And mm-hmm. I won't lie, the ones that resonated with me, it's like the one to this day that I remember is Keisha Knight Pullum is Polly with Felicia mm-hmm. Rashad. But you and I both know that was a rarity. And that was yes. kind of like... a a renaissance moment for a particular group of black people to be able to infiltrate and bring us that element. Usually you didn't get that until like what later in the nineties when you got Brandy and Whitney Houston's Cinderella. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So my mom read us all these stories, but um, I worked for this crazy white lady. She, um, she went to my church and I'm, I'm Catholic. Don't hold it against Mm me. Um, I'm a a terrible Catholic, but um, But she um, she was very faithful to the rhythm method, which means she had five kids. Mm-hmm. Um, um, one, two, three, seven, and 13. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was there one day and I, the little girls were like, we want to watch a movie. I'm like, well, what do you want to watch? And one little girl screamed, I want to watch Cinderella. And the other little girl screamed, I want to watch Little Shop of Horror. And I was like, well, I know which one of us is going to get along. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I was like, suddenly Seymour it is. Yes. <laughs> but her mom heard her youngest daughter asked to watch Cinderella and came in. She's like, we don't watch movies about pimping and walked back out of the room. And then her very small children looked at me and said, what's pimping? And I was like, Lord nope. God. Lord oh. God. <laughs> I was like, mm-mm. So I called my mom because I'm a teenager. <laughs> and my mom's like, um... I'll be right there. I was like, you're going to come over? She's like, yeah, you can't handle this one. (laughs) So my mom came over and she started talking about, you know, Cinderella's life and how the prince needed to have a wife because Mm -hmm. that's how they protected his job. And in order for him to find a wife because he kind of lived a protected house and the little girl's like, was he grounded all the time like me? She was like, no, baby, you're just bad. (laughs) So so my mom is trying to slowly step them through the whole, they threw a party and made everybody get dressed so he could choose somebody. And I'm sitting over here and I'm like, if my mom says the words way down, yelling in the jungle deep, I'm going to have to cut this off because this is real close to talking about how somebody, quote, gets chose. Oh, right. And that's when it dawned on me that that's one of the subliminal messages that's reinforced with Cinderella as it's packaged in the mainstream that no one really talks about. That in a certain way, this story tells women what you want is to be chose right and right you know it also gave one of the little girls a complex because she's like i got big feet how nope. wear them shoes <laughs> <laughs> and you know in this in the in the animated version they say they cut their toes off to shove them in the, you know and i'm like mm, yep Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, again, I called my mom. I'm like, I'm a teenager. I'm supposed to be here to play games with you. Make sure you do your homework and that you don't pee the bed. I'm really not (laughs) fielding the life lessons. Yeah, (laughs) these they need these life lessons. Yeah, they're like, wait a minute, that's not my job. (laughs) But their mom was real quick to drop these anti-patriarchy, really grown, pseudo-feminist propaganda sound bites and bounce. Like, Mm -hmm. you're like, like, oh, you're awake. You're, you're like, you're an empowered black girl. You're, you're, you, you can, I was like, um, 
What? Yeah, so she... That's a whole different con- conversation <laughs> about d- d- the racism that she was unaware that she was peddling out. Yes, yes. But, like, she was perfectly... Con- she was convinced that somehow that me as a black teenager had been prepared for this very adult kind of concept. Mm-mm. And when I was reading your book and I was like, see, this is all the stuff that people think when they like, they hypersexualize people and they want to emphasize these certain things. You've got babies over here where the one scene where the girl picks up the shoes and she's crying mm-hmm. because what she picked, what she landed on didn't equal princess, didn't equal getting chosen. Now, in your world, you know, in Lily, this Lily, which, by the way, I don't want to visit. I don't want to go. <laughs> Unless I'm kicking it with Constance, I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, this this, this underlying sense that you had, like, this could still have been, you know, the little town, it's a quiet village, and on the surface, and then when you kind of dig in, and yes, I know I made a Beauty and the Beast reference, we just <laughs> yeah. uh, But you know what I mean? Like, the village square where she's walking yeah. around, and it's like... But when you started panning out and telling people what was happening in the stalls and what was really happening with the play that they were telling and that this was really about girls trying to internalize and have I lived the the fairy tale of Cinderella enough to earn my visit from a fairy godmother and, and the, the, the hoops. Like, so when you really drilled in with, and you did it so quickly while still keeping the story moving, by the way, that was really <laughs> impressive. And I had deep writer's envy and I almost, I was like, I think I, I think I hate Halen right now. I think I hate her. Uh, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to write this review without sounding like a bitter writer. <laughs> but it's very rarely that you see someone who's able to keep moving things at this kind of fast a clip without losing these little elements, but still building a character who has the, the right kind of frustration for the reader. Yeah. I mean, shout out to my editor because this book might have been, I don't know, another hundred pages if I hadn't, like, I had to, I cut a lot. I wanted it to be fast paced, but I wanted to make sure that it hit home, that this setting is just so fairy tale-ish looking from the outside. But as soon as you scratch the surface, it is something much more insidious, much more harmful and oppressive, and it's, it's deadly. And so... Yeah, I, you know, yeah, shout out to my editor at Bloomsbury, Mary-Kate, because she was like, we can do this without, you know, all of these other kind of things. We can make it to the point and still keep everything kind of intact that we need to. So, yeah, that's, thank God for, for edit, you know, editors like I that. Mean, we love a good editor. My editor yeah. is usually just like, really? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'll take another pass. You ain't got to say anything. Don't even red line. That really is enough. But, you know, I put a content warning on the review that I did for Fire. And the reason I did it is because you were so strategic in the language that you used. It kind mm-hmm. of lets it to where, like, some of the, the violence that goes hand in hand with some of these ideas and concepts especially mm-hmm. when you realize I mean like it's like you went down the men's right checklist and bravo but yeah. um, <laughs> but damn and like <laughs> when you like the cumulative effect like right before you get to the point where she's going to the ball and you've been through some of the moments and you've seen the personalities or the people that she's dealing with around her um, I was like on one level I want I wanted more world building and a yeah. couple more interactions or a flashback but again 
I'm greedy. <laughs> I admit this. And I felt like I have a couple of friends who read this and I asked them some questions and they're just like, I'm not familiar enough with Cinderella to be as rooted in this world as you are. But this book mm-hmm. made me go read the actual story of Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doubly horrified. <laughs> I love that because I, I didn't set out for that. But by the time I got to the end of the that the first couple drafts there, that was really what I was hoping to accomplish because something like m- one of my favorite um, retellings is, is Wicked. And I can never look at The Wizard of Oz the same way, no matter, you know, and I've been watching that movie and have read the book a few times, but have watched that movie, you know, since I was a child. I can never see that movie in the same light after I've seen read Wicked. That I was hoping to be able to accomplish something similar here because I wanted that original stuff. I wanted people to go back and get Cinderella and be like, wait a minute, let me, let me look at this again. And you know, after reading Cinderella is dead. So yeah, that makes me happy. Oh, well, yeah, you got me. <laughs> That's one of the ones where I was like, I just got cussed squarely the hell out. <laughs> and I don't even know if I'm supposed to apologize right now because you, you seem okay with being this mad. Because my, like, I was like, I'm like, have you not read the grim fairy tales? He's like, no, I was like, fix that. Wait till you get to Sleeping Beauty, bruh. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what's wrong yeah. with Sleeping Beauty? I said, I got one word for you. Necrophilia. He's like, yeah. He's like, stop ruining my childhood. But even if you didn't want to dig into these elements, you invited people on a fun adventure. Like, especially once you got the Constance. Like, because you, there were, yeah. moments, there were moments she's like, it's got pockets. I, I was like, see? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I really do. She just, she gives zero Fs. She just wants what she wants. You know, she's been through some things in her life and uh, with her family. And it's, she's at a point where she is, I think she feels like she has nothing to lose, but that, that definitely changes for her when she meets Sophia. But she, um, you know, she's just kind of this, this firecracker. She like, is I not just... with the shits. We can say it. No. She is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll say it if you don't want yeah. She is really not with the shit. She has an idea. She has a plan. And she will stab you. She will cut you. <laughs> yes. No. And she will not feel bad about it. No. Like, no. Yeah. I love her. She'll change her clothes and keep going. I was like, yep. <laughs> I was like, what is really happening here? Like, <laughs> Like, this is one area where I want a prequel. I would like, I don't care if it's a novella, something. I need to know more about Constance. And, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, a friend and I, like, don't don't ever get into, like, conspiracy theories about books with your friends. And, like, I <laughs> 45 minutes convinced her not to hit you up on Twitter asking if you were writing more <laughs> books in this world. Because if you weren't, I was like, you know, you're starting to sound a little like Annie. <laughs> And oh my goodness! We not gonna cap. We not kidnapping Miss Bay- Miss Byron. Not getting kidnapped. I I'm like, I know it would be you know a good way to isolate right now, but what you're not gonna do? She's like, I just need to know. And you know what scene I'm talking about? She talked about this thing in this place, and I was like, mm-hmm, I read it. And I mean, if we need to start a petition on your behalf to, in order for you to be given all the Grimm's fairy tales, but specifically yeah. the one that you mentioned in this book, that a bitch going where's the rest? What you mean? <laughs> Hello, I shook my tablet like I could make it produce 
more information about this <laughs> other story that's in Constance, the book of her family history. Yes. I'm so there, mad at you. There, <laughs> there, those things are there for a reason. That's okay. what I can say. I'm just saying, because, yes. um, <laughs> Look, I, yeah, I cannot say specifically okay, fine. Stop. but i can say but i can but i can say this is not the end of this world Good. and that book uh is going to come into play in some other things Good. so yes Good. yeah because i'm like <laughs> i'm like the easter eggs that exist in this story the moment yeah. that you give people like if you have even if your fairy tale history is only disney or you know God help you, some of the live action movies that they made of Snow White Ugh, and the wasted yeah. opportunities that existed there. How are you going to cast Charlize Theron <laughs> as River and waste her? How are you going to waste her? I know. And as, I mean, like, we've, you, I, you've seen the old guard, I'm mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like she just, I just, yeah, you can't, she needs, she's, we just it's just a wasted opportunity yeah. is what that was but I mean, yeah i mean i've been waiting on charlie's to reach her final form of badassness and see on flux so <laughs> yeah i mean and then you give me her as my like the perfect embodiment of a fairy tale villain with depth and then you don't give me the depth of the story around her and then you right. turn around and you give the perfect mirror casting for an ice queen <laughs> and then you still focus on not them i was ready to fight the air yeah <laughs> <laughs> but when i was reading this book and i was looking at some of the elements like you know uh first of all i got to the end and was like wait n- no i'm sorry where's i need more <laughs> this is one of those books where you feel like i was i was i had so many root thoughts i, I got <laughs> i got over them but i was like like you you didn't just rework a classic you kind of took that classic let it stay but you turned the the snow globe you know like Mm -hmm. okay everybody knows what we what we saw with cinderella but then you turned it to the other side and on the other side you know the, the fairy godmother is still there but she's doing something that happened like just out of frame before you mm-hmm. see the great moment of the meet cute between the prince and the princess. And the right. fact that you told us about that was fantastic. Or like the moment where you see in the movies where she's running through the woods. Cause I've always been the person I'm like, why did he run it? I mean, he like her. I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is she really not? I'm like, is this a sub- subconscious desire to, to like bug out? What's happening? <laughs> so when you insert kind of like, okay, I was a skeptical child. I'll admit it. But, uh, but like when you insert the explanation you gave for that and then you layer in her stepsister and the story about her home life, which is also, again, the same thing that we've all, quote, seen. But you open the doors and you just kind of turned it and said, well, look at it from this angle. You know, right. you know what you thought of might have been harshness and, you know, somebody being a taskmaster. There might have been a purpose to her trying to train and teach her daughter, all of them, right. to be a particular way. And if you're not looking at it from inside with the knowledge it's easy to see that as oh that's abusive or that's terrible and right so you just kind of gave everybody pieces to a world that no one had ever really thought about before and that's what I really love because uh, I mean you can read these stories but as a black girl I was like I was like I am not Cinderella and my mom was right. like 
like, why not? I was like, well, one, <laughs> you're not going to make me clean all your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like all day I'm like and two she cooks all the food why is no one scared of her I'm almost like <laughs> right I'm like they eat her cooking she got a whole ass garden do you know what Belladonna could do to somebody it looks like Basil mama and she's like yeah. you are a murder child <laughs> But like, I always wanted to be somebody in the guard. You know, I was like, I keep you alive. Yeah. So to take a world and consider that every, even the small parts you had, where there's a one moment where you have some of the guards who work at the palace and you only hear their conversation where one of the guards says, maybe it's better for you to stay here if you're not willing to do the things you need to do to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a very small moment, but it's huge in terms of thinking about the prince and the princess and live, living in the palace. That, right. Like the guards have to be willing they know going in there's a certain amount that they have to be willing to do and if they're not willing to right. do it they shouldn't be there right and that part of it you know is is such a you know we see you know you see people um doing terrible things you know just being terrible human beings but they're not alone in their villainy there are people who are aiding and abetting you know the entire time and those people are as much part of the problem as the person at the top making the rules um because there's a lot more of of them than there are of the guy in charge. So yeah, I think it and it and I think that also kind of trickles down to so there's, you know, there's the palace guard and there's also these, you know, the citizens of this kingdom and they, you know, they are complicit in, in so much of the oppression and the abuse that's happening and they are they're so used to it that it's just like, yeah, that's just the way it is. You know, some of them know it's wrong, some of them know it's harmful, but they do it anyway because that's just what they do. And I see that a lot in our you know, that's a that's a very timely kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that happens all the time. And so that kind of just showing how people can be complicit, seeing how people just will turn a blind eye to something that is terrible that's happening right in front of their faces. And and that scene where Aaron, where Sophia sees Aaron at the marketplace and Aaron has very obviously been through some things and the people around her see it too. They see her face, they see her injuries. And they're laughing and carrying on and, and joking and like, it's no big deal. And I've, you know, and I've seen that, I've yeah. seen that. And I had to have a conversation with my editor at one point during the writing process, just because I, you know, we were both like, okay, this is, these are real things that happen every day, but sometimes putting them down there like that, it felt, it almost felt like too much, but it's, it's, it's true. It's it, those things happen every single day there, you know, and, and it's, and so it's hard to kind of look at, you know, crafting this story and taking all of these real world kind of examples and just kind of looking it in the face. A lot of things that are, you know, there are some things in there that are very personal to me and um, domestic violence um, is, uh, is, is a part of this system, which I think also goes hand in hand with this very toxic kind of patriarchal society. Right. Um, and, you know, that we're looking at this story and kind of like, is this, is this too much? Ultimately, I don't, I, I tried to strike a balance between what we were seeing and then what was possible. 
I think you um, thread the needle really well, honestly. Yeah, I, I, do. I definitely tried to. Yeah. Like, because if this was anybody else, and I'm going to be real, if this was a char- if this was a book that had black characters and the writer wasn't black, they'd have, ha- they'd have dedicated at least a solid two pages to us watching or reading Aaron get beat up. Right. And so the fact that, that yeah. you didn't do that, I, I actually got up and did a happy dance. I was like, sweet. Yeah. But the feeling was there. Yeah. And you yeah. didn't make anything magically evil. Right, right. Yeah. And it's, I think that, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the things that I think about a lot is just sometimes, sometimes people don't need a, don't need a reason or they don't need a, I don't know, they, these things happen and there's not a reason, you know what I mean? It's wrong and it's, yeah. and it's just wrong. There's no, you know, there's, there's nothing else about it that can be redeemed. Um, and it's, you know, oh gosh, it's, it's really just we're not I didn't want good at admitting that sometimes people just choose to do foul things. Right. Yeah, there there and it's and sometimes, you know, we're looking for some kind of, you know, justification or we're looking for some kind of um and 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 that sometimes leads to other terrible things like, you know, victim shaming and, you know, I just I wanted to I wanted to make it very clear what was going on. But I, I don't want anybody to have to kind of relive that trauma of those, you know, those that that scene being very explicit. I just, it didn't feel like I needed to do that, but I needed to make it clear what was going on. I mean, when I said that I felt like I wanted more world building, I meant more, um, not that. I felt like you hit right, those beats. Right, right, no, beats, right. Those right. beats were perfect. I was yeah. in the sense that like, I would have liked if we could have had more constants. Like I like yeah. their meet cute and I don't care if <laughs> yes. anybody says it's not a meet cute, then you need to go redefine what a meet cute is. But <laughs> that was a fabulous meet cute. I was I was like, this is glorious. I like it. <laughs> Give me a coat and cloak and everything. I'm not going Yeah, to like, like, you know, cut my uh corset yeah, off so I, I can breathe a little real, bit. Yeah. <laughs> All the beats, all the fabulousness, (laughs) but like, with just a hint of keep being you and I'll give you a new choice was even better. But like, I would have liked, I would have liked there to be a little bit more, um, around the castle just because I felt like a friend of mine told me and I take their notes it only in the sense that they don't read much. So if I can get Mm -hmm. them to read a book. (laughs) I feel like I've made an achievement, but like they got, they got deeply invested in the story and they were, and, and some of the questions they came away with, I was like, oh, well, that's not really developed. Part of it is an expectation that, you know, the myth or that, you know, the story. So when you're giving the alternative version or you're giving mm-hmm. in the fact. So some of that I was like, okay. I was like, okay. I'm like, that's a world building choice. I'm like, I like this, but I can. <laughs> I can appreciate that though. Yeah. yeah. No, I can appreciate that. For yeah, sure. and I, yeah. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, just means you need to go read some books. He's like, look. He's <laughs> like, why do you do this to me? I said, because you're dumb and I want to fix it. <laughs> Like when it comes to certain, like he keeps getting blindsided by things that are happening in the real world. And Mm -hmm. the majority of the rest of uh, our friends, we all read sci-fi fantasy. Like we all read speculative fiction. So we're all just trying to identify which storyline it's taking the lead. And he's like, what the hell are y'all talking about? I was like, you don't go read an Octavia Butler. I cannot help you. Right. (laughs) We are living the prologue to Parabola Sour. And if shit gets really real and you're not ready, you cannot come in our compound. Yeah. (laughs) 
but when he was reading this book and he was getting kind of you know and we were talking about some of the elements because like talking to him and talking to one of my other friends kind of helped me solidify what I liked about this story now she's queer as hell and all I had to tell her Mm -hmm. I was like it's a sapphic love story she's like bitch (laughs) she's like I'll be back in five hours I'm gonna go read it right now and she literally was back in five hours I was like did you stop doing everything she's like I did it came out today I, I clicked and went and sat in the back with some coffee (laughs) I was like well damn (laughs) so when we were looking at it and she was like I really loved the idea of this being a a descendant world Um, you know so it's Mm -hmm. not it's not second universe it's not alt flip it's just a descendant world and you Mm -hmm. know taking the idea that this thing that led to what's supposed to be one of the greatest moments of you know love at first sight ever mm-hmm. and turning it into a burden like you know yeah it's 200 years later girls are still attending the ball but if they don't find a partner by the third one their mm-hmm. lives are forfeit right what made you kind of decide now mind you I again I'm a dark and twisty girl so <laughs> I liked the turn <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> but, but what made you decide that that was going to come into play in this particular world I think that it is a kind of an analogy in a way for you know are, we live in this society that is kind of obsessed with youth um, and beauty and beauty standards that are very you know eurocentric and we are constantly, and and we also live in a society that is um, very heteronormative, um, and we are constantly being asked to look at ourselves through the eyes of that kind of male gaze. And for me, that thing that happens in this book um, that you find out about is, for me, it's about kind of the callousness of what it means to live in a society where you are only seen, where you only have value um, as it relates to another person. Um, a lot of times, if you identify as a woman, a lot of times that means your relationship to a man. And that kind of thing that happens there, I don't want to, like, I, I'm trying to, like, avoid saying it. I don't want to say it, but, um, you know, it's really just uh, my kind of uh, take on how we as women are constantly being asked to conform and that if you don't, and if you don't um, do it in a way that is, you know, kind of set forth by the society that we live in, you're, you literally have no value. Your life is, your life is forfeit. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, that's, that's what that meant for me. Now, you know, I've, I've had other people kind of reach out and tell me their, you know, their interpretation of that. And that's, that's the good, th- you know, that's the fun thing about kind of writing a story like this is once I, when, you know, once it's out there, it kind of becomes. It's ours. <laughs> yeah, it belongs to the readers. So I'm, you know, and I, you know, what this person said to me in an email, I was like, you know what, that kind of makes sense. So, you know, that's, that's, if that's how you interpret it and perceive it, that's, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it kind of played on two levels. My mind immediately went to the, your life is forfeit. One, because I play too many games. And two, mm-hmm. probably because I watched too many bad 80s movies where they used to scream things like that at the screen. But, uh, <laughs> Somebody got to yell, finish him next, because I can't. Yeah. (laughs) I read this right around the time that I was watching. They were talking about reconsidering some cases in Tennessee about, well, one was Satoya Brown and and Mm -hmm. her getting clemency versus, you know, someone realizing she should have been tried as an adult. Never. Mm -hmm. 
right. considered a victim of trafficking. And, right. Um, and then there was another case where I was watching this whole situation and I was like, you know what? Yeah, we're really good at forfeits. We're, yeah. We, we're really good at selling them too. We're really good at finding some other way that like you didn't meet the purpose for which society gave you. Right. So we'll figure out a way to monetize you. And I was like, right. oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, and, and kind of like, you know, like I was saying, there's the, a lot of these things that are happening, even though this is a fantasy setting, a lot of the things that are, that are in this book are, they, they happen in mm -hmm. real life and maybe not, you know, maybe not in this, um, you know, as, as well, you know, I was going to say maybe not as blatantly as this, but yeah, sometimes that's how it is, especially when you are black. And especially if you are queer, this very vulnerable population of people, it's like, you just, if you don't conform, you, your life doesn't matter. Right. Um, I mean, they set um, up a obviously system it does, for but, people's yeah. parents to throw them away. Right. Like, right. I think that got and, me more than some of the other elements that you set up in this book, that they actually set up a system that convinced people they have to give up their kids. And it wasn't even for the good of all. It was just like, this part, they're wrong. My child is wrong. Yeah, that, that situation that happens uh, with Luke's, um, his love interest, what happened to him, it was, it, it reminded me of, you know, these situations where you have people who's, they find out that their kid is, is part of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's like, they disown them or they, you know, put them into some kind of conversion therapy, which should be outlawed and, and illegal. And that's, you know, just fucking terrible. But it, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of how we can condition people to, and there, there are people out there doing that. They are out, they are out there throwing away their own children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, they, they really are. And that was very, very hard to, to kind of put myself in that mindset of, you know, well, how far are people willing to go to kind of preserve their reputation in this, this society? You can't have your kids trying to live outside of, of what the, the parameters are for them. You know, would you be willing to send your child away? Would you be willing to just give your kid up for forfeit and, you know, as a forfeit? And it, and they did. And they, and I, you know, that again, a real world type situation that is just so heinous um, that it seems like it shouldn't even be real. And it is. And that's, you know, that's terrible. But you wrote it in such a way that it kind of still fit into the fairy tale mythos. And you kind of attached it to the magic system and the, you know, the magical consequences that were at play in this story. And I'm not giving any of those away mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> because by the time they actually get to the point to where Sophia and Constance are together and they're on the run trying to figure out what to do, I was making predictions and I was like, well, that was wrong. <laughs> I like this better. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is fabulous. Totally was wrong, but I'm in for the ride. And when they got to the heart of it, you kind of like I wanted more Constance um, story development I think the first two times I read this through that's just because one I like Gingers and two I really liked Constance so thanks mm -hmm. for that <laughs> <laughs> um I was like, really? I would like more. But <laughs> when I was reading through the third time, um, I realized that some of the things that Constance was being used for in the in the in the story was kind of like signposts that 
if you had been paying attention or if Sophia hadn't gotten distracted or, it, you know, there's just this one little, I was like, how did I miss that the first two times? <laughs> I read it. It's like, because there's this moment in the story where you create what feels like a certain unreasonableness to people's behavior or responses mm -hmm. that they're having. And it's easy to miss because you, you, you hadn't really done that without there being a concrete con you did it with Aaron, but it was a very mm -hmm. specific and concrete context of the relationship that was going on with Sophia and Aaron that made that happen. And it was easy to kind of follow that thread, but you know, you, you built us to see Constance in this one particular way. And then you put Constance and Sophia in this, in this environment, which kind of forced you to, to wonder, do we not know Constance as well as we think we do? Because this seems not on brand. And when I was reading it through the third, I'm like, I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb. <laughs> like, really? I feel like I should go back and apologize. You never heard any of the things I said, but you know, unless you be apologize. And that's what was so great about this story. It's like you come in here and you're reading all these different layers because the first time you just read it straight through and it's a great mm -hmm. story and you enjoy the adventure and you start picking sides and like, you know, I was like, seriously, you even had a moment in the lake under the moonlight. I love when you yeah. pick your moments. You pick great ones. And, you know, you can kind of get wrapped up in all of those elements that you're giving and you still kind of get this sense of the ominous part of it felt a little into the woodsy which I mm -hmm. really appreciated and yeah. we're going to discuss exactly how much you love musicals because I swear to yeah. God I, <laughs> yes. I was like really? I'm like come on like, but visually you kind of gave that same feeling of certain moments in like that you got in like a stage play or a production of that kind and so it was very easy to miss how you had kind of changed how you were using a character or you had slightly pivoted who we were supposed to be following if we wanted to catch all the little threads that you were weaving together. And mm -hmm. I hate it when I miss stuff. But, <laughs> but like when you got to the end, I was like, well, ain't that about a bitch? And, and you built this entire magic system around this really simple concept and mm -hmm. and it's a kind of it's a kind of a relationship that we don't really like to talk about too much in the modern world because it upends mm -hmm. the idea of what we think uh are the motivations of a woman mm -hmm. almost speak in real broad mm -hmm. terms yeah around <laughs> the edges but like you know, at the core of who these characters were, it was all the different personifications that are never really in society allowed to exist in a single woman. Right. And when you started to see them manifesting at different points in in women characters of different ages in this, you're like, this is so much smarter than I am. That's, <laughs> this, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. Because, you know, it's really easy to miss this stuff. If you're just kind of like, you read it, you enjoy the adventure, you get lured mm -hmm. in by this and you're like, yes, let them kiss. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, cause you keep, you lead down a Pimrose path real nicely for the record. Yeah. I, thank you. I, I wanted, I, I wanted so much to kind of create this story that, you know, as people are reading it, I really, yeah, I wanted them to go back. I want you to read it and enjoy it. And like, it's a fun ride and like, let's, you know, and then 
maybe think about it and be like, well, wait a minute, let me, you know, let me go back and read that and then maybe discover something new. And I think that that those are the kind of stories that I love, like stories that keep kind of giving. Yeah. You know, there are the, the relationships. It's kind of about like, how much are you, how much are you willing to do? How much are you willing to risk to help someone that you love or that you care about? And I think that we see that in so many different dynamics, you know, with every single character, they all are fighting this battle in their own way. And sometimes it's not the righteous path. Like sometimes it's, you know, it's messy and it's people are not just good or bad. They're both sometimes. And that part of it, you know, it doesn't always end up where things are tied up neatly you know, at the end, it's kind of like, well, why was this person like that? Why did they do that? And sometimes there's not, you know, it's just because you wanted to do something for somebody that you really cared about and it didn't work out. It didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And now you have to kind of live with a mess. And so, yeah, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to kind of, to kind of point readers in the, in the direction and say, okay, just go that way and you'll see, you know, what happens. And, and hopefully it's, you know, it's enough to kind of be like, okay, let me keep going. So that was, you know, that's, that was kind of my goal there. Writing that. <laughs> no, I mean, I have this thing, especially when I'm reading, so I, fought with another reviewer for this particular book when I wanted to pitch it because I was like I'm reviewing this book and I know where you live I know where you live pick a different title <laughs> this one is mine it's I'm, not a game yeah I was like I've already pitched it I will cut you so, <laughs> but one of the reasons why I really wanted to do that is because um I read this book I got to the end and I immediately flapped to flip back to the beginning and anytime that I do that I automatically open up my tablet my my laptop top and order the book in hardback and like because you know <laughs> like I'm like I might pre-order there's some book I live in I've downsized so now I have to be a little bit more circumspect about what books I keep in physical version mm -hmm. I'm terrible at making that decision I'll just put that <laughs> <laughs> But if I find that I've gotten to the end of a story and I immediately want to go back to the beginning of the story, you are getting my money. No ifs, no ands, no but you might again, like I said, you will multiply get my money. <laughs> like I've already tried to order the UK paperback because I want the other cover. I bought the hard cubby cover. I made the mistake of letting my mom into my nook library. So I now own this ebook. <laughs> but I'm completely okay with that triple purpose purchase. My budget is like girl what you doing but <laughs> but one of the it's because of what you said if I find that I've read something and I really enjoyed it and I immediately want to go back and start dissecting something because the back of my brain is itching and says wait a minute I need to buy the book I, I need to own this book I'm gonna read it again I'm probably gonna let somebody borrow it in my house because you can't take it out you can sit in my courtyard but you're not leaving with my book and then you know and then I'm gonna read it again after that and one of the things that I really liked about this story not just because I now will personally petition whoever the hell I have to to give you all of the Grimm's fairy tales, especially my favorite ones. <clears throat> it was because it was because you were able to fold all of these things in together. And I'm literally sitting here reading this. I'm like, I now need to know what is the list of your favorite musicals because I know there is one. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, ooh, this is okay. So I like, I just, 
just going to put it out there. I, um, I'm just a musical theater nerd. I just love musical theater. Um, my favorite musical is Wicked, but Sweeney Todd is probably a close second. Um, and I love, um, what else? Oh my God. I mean, I love Hamilton, but I feel like I can't really talk about Hamilton without talking about other things. And so my, my views about that have, have evolved, I guess. I feel like when I talk about Hamilton, we need to have other conversations as well. Bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's like, I, you know, I, and I don't feel comfortable just saying, oh, I just, you know, I love Hamilton and then move on. It's kind of like, yeah, well, I, you know, I can appreciate um, so many things about the musicianship and the staging and, you know, all of that. But we just, there's other conversations that we have to have there. Um, it's but because most people hadn't seen Hamilton when they heard mm -hmm. Hamilton. Right, right. And that's, um, that's, and, and I didn't, um, I didn't get a chance to see it until it was on Disney. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, cause like as much as a, as much of a theater geek as I am, I'm also, uh, pretty broke. And so I'm not, <laughs> I am not in the theater. You know, I do love it when I can, when I can afford to do that. I got kids, I got bills. I'm like, I can't be in the theater, but, um, you know, I so I use yeah, that. yeah. Um, it's, it's rough. I, <laughs> I'm like, I'll just, uh, listen to the soundtrack forever, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Wicked, um, Little Shop of Horrors, which um, kind of plays into the book that I have coming out next year. Um, Phantom of the Opera, Lion King. Yeah, I just, I love them all. I'll, yeah, I love okay, musicals so, so much. You already told me you like Town. So what's your favorite? I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, oh my gosh. Um, I mean, Wait For Me is, okay. is great, but so is Flowers. I love I love flowers. I love all of the stuff that Amber Gray um, did. Like all, all of her songs are are amazing. Just her being Persephone, she's just she's fabulous. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the, yeah. The reason why I was curious and wanted to know is because when you get to kind of the heart of what happens, like the lead up to Sophia and Aaron going to the palace for the ball, mm -hmm. you kind of just get this sense. And I was like, really? Because I just need music right now, and this is <laughs> production. So you have this ability that you kind of you translate that into the way that you gave us the scene and then you put dialogue in so you have this emotional depth that kind of mm -hmm. carries into the scene I was like I am so invested right now <laughs> but I really just need someone to burst in the song I yeah <laughs> I you know what and I you know I studied music in college I am a classically trained mezzo soprano and I feel like a lot of things that I write that's kind of how it feels it feels like if we were sitting in this carriage and we were having to say goodbye that we you know but we don't really want to say goodbye um I, that feels like a perfect moment to have like a whole sad song like i don't know if somebody wants to turn it into a stage production and um you know it. let me know <laughs> you book, we'll find somebody to make you the music i mean I'm yeah gonna... like <laughs> like i'm a band nerd i can carry a tune and i'm an alto because but like i could hear where you would spot in the music and i was like for real you just need some violins right here yeah i was like i can't and that's the kind of vivid richness that i really appreciate in these characters and i was like in a two time i was like i want to see this but i would like someone to make this but i don't know who i want to make this because i don't trust anybody not to f it up and yeah <laughs> 
and it, part of that was because you wrote such a good kind of nicely forward paced adventure story and it's not an origin story and it also opens the door at the end for there to be more because you literally just you force a reckoning and there aren't many books that are about the reckoning like the moment of reckoning and the choices that made where people's motivations and past trans transgressions get revealed and you didn't tie the magic system to like what was holding these people in thrall because they weren't in thrall so you have all these like angst filled really complicated choices that had to be made you're making me mad. i'm getting mad all over again but, <laughs> yeah. but like when when you're reading something like this and but you're doing it with such a deft hand that it never feels like anything is performative it doesn't feel like you're being like hyper dramatic or trying to traumatize anybody mm -hmm. and you've given a whole new way to present that i don't really i mean i mean like for real <laughs> Look, you make you make me feel uh, real nice right now. I I'm might, not trying to gas like, you up, but, I, but look, <laughs> you wrote it. <laughs> but I just, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I've been trying to really kind of just embrace um compliments because I'm so bad at it and I just I I always feel like I'm just this kind of self depreciating you know type of person and I you know I I'm ready to kind of uh, let that go like I. I tried to do something here with this book. It really seems to be resonating with people. And I'm really, really, really proud of that. And I don't know that you, you make me feel like I can, like, maybe I can write the next book. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe it's you not a pile of trash. Fine. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> you look, any, I will send you the, I will send you this. Anytime your imposter syndrome size and wants to get out of control, I'll just replay that one section. You will be just fine. Did your <laughs> not tell you how fast I came back and said, I love this. I pitched the you here's the link can i talk yes yeah, you did <laughs> <laughs> i was like for real i was like because i you know i freelance review that way i can try to you know get reviews where they fit in and i read this and i talked to the review coordinator at fire and he's like i've never heard of this i was like good so it's mine mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't even know if you can get the e-arc i'm like look i'm getting this arc if i have to walk to new york i will sit in somebody's office with a mask and gloves i'll borrow a hazmat suit someone gonna let me read this book and I don't say that just to kind of, you know, okay, there are plenty of people who tell you, if I don't like your book, I'm going to tell you. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, like, I love this book even for the things where I was like, I wish I could have had more. I was like, mm -hmm. because it's the kind of, I wish it could have had more. It's because this book made me greedy to know more about these characters, to know more about this world, to experience the way that you were going to manifest these concepts. If the, like, like, you played around with death magic, and again, yeah. really? <laughs> and you did it in a way to where can't nobody come at you and if they are coming at you please you know just shoot them away I got time Yeah, <laughs> like you did it in a very respectful way you didn't play around with anybody's mm -hmm. kind of me you didn't dip mm -hmm. your foot anywhere it should and that's a very difficult thing to do so yeah I, I had to make it right that part I had to it had to be right and especially with like you know the way my family is they're like you cannot don't mess around with stuff don't be talking about anything crazy like it's you know it's it's like I, I had to get that part right and I had to it's my it's it's probably my favorite scene <laughs> in the whole book like that part right there just I'm just like yeah this is weird and creepy and 
you know, that's that's right up my alley. So, yeah. Yeah, I was like, if this twitchy, witchy woman don't go on somewhere, I was like, it's one of those things. Like, <laughs> now, now I would like you to write horror. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you've, got, you've got an ear. We're going to say ear, not eye, because you've got mm-hmm. an ear. And like the way that you kind of blend these in, I'm I'm totally for it. And um, <laughs> I don't know. There's no limit on the age of people who can read this book. Like you could mm-hmm. give this book to someone who's relatively long, but young, but an advanced reader and the nuances of the things that they're not ready for will go right by them, but they can still mm-hmm. dig in and enjoy these stories. And, you know, in, I love the anti-indoctrination message. So that mm-hmm. in of itself is great. But then when you get someone who's older or jaded or cynical or how I was as a teenager, bitter, because they mm-hmm. never got to see <laughs> Like, I grew up on a military base. (laughs) I was surrounded. But you get into them, and they get a little bit more. And they can Mm -hmm. see a little bit more. So to get a story where everything was just so very matter-of-factly presented, you know, she was just so adamant, I don't want to be the princess, and I do not want to marry the prince. Or any other damn man. Thank you. (laughs) You know? But then you also have the other girl who's like, look, this is the point at which our lives, we have to just be who we need to be in order to survive. And then you've got this other girl's like, bitch what? I will cut (laughs) you. I will stab you. Yes. Are you touching me? I will. I will stand. Yes. Yeah. The three. The three. Um. Like personalities. There. It. You know. That's. That's very like purposeful. Like. I. You know. There's just so many different ways that people exist and have to exist for you know any number of reasons. So yeah. But the three of them. They're. They're. You know. They. They represent that kind of all those different angles. So yeah. But sapphic stories don't usually get that treat. They don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, people aren't comfortable being that matter of fact. Um. They feel like there has to be some big revelatory moment. Be- and it all just leads up to just like I was like, really, you did all of that, and they just hugged each other and stared deeply at each other's lives. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna set your whole book on fire. That's not how this works. So, so to get a story that's from page one, it's like like I don't know. I think she didn't untag you, but my friend Kate was like, oh, it's queer. Bet I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. She's like, you could have just told me that. I'd have read it blind. She's like, oh, they black? Oh, okay. <laughs> click, click. Like, I bought it for my partner. We're going to read it together. I was like, did your partner know that she about to read it? She's like, it don't matter. We read it together. <laughs> but I also gave it to one of my friends who was so heterosexual that I think they would lose their mind if they got hugged too tightly by someone of the same sex. <laughs> and they were like, this is just so beautiful. And I don't know why everybody can't leave them to fuck alone or just let them be happy together. I was like, yo, even angelica ass is out here she's like why don't people just leave alone just let them away there's gotta be somewhere they can go fuck this place i was like gotcha gotcha yeah i was like "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm so so i'm a a terrible friend i know it's fine i've embraced it But like you gave all of this movement and these moments a chance to breathe. And you did it by saying, of course they exist here. Of course this is a part of the world. Why wouldn't we need to answer these questions? Of course they were at the annual ball. They exist, you know? Yes. And the fact that you led with the of course is what kind of made it feel 
so very nonconformist, but so very necessary. And I just don't like, yeah, I, you can't discount that enough. And Luke, you know, he, he says this to Sophia. He says, just because they deny us doesn't mean we cease to exist. And that is, that is the truth. Mm -hmm. Girl, we've been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Oh, uh -huh. we sure have. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a fun edit. But, <laughs> but I really kind of wanted to spend a little time and talk around some of the themes you have in this story because it's almost not enough to just say that this is two queer girls taking on the patriarchy because yeah this this is really really paradigm subversion it's not even like you take tropes and as far as I'm concerned they're now yours no one else gets to have <laughs> them if they're not doing them the way you did I don't want them but <laughs> but because you did that in a story that was so good and it had such flavor and it had color and it, it was very vivid and like like I spent more time trying to figure out how they tamed her hair to get it to do what it was and what did she look like when she had to run away, <laughs> you know? But you you gave a description for all of these moments that kind of get glossed over by people in books, especially when they're talking about a black girl. And you and I both mm -hmm. know she had to take a minute to braid her hair to get into that hat. Yep. <laughs> and, and like, but you gave all of those light and they existed. It's not possible to go back to a world where Cinderella doesn't have family, like a real family. Like mm -hmm. it, it, that where the people who had to come after Cinderella you know there's yeah it's a world full of magic and there's fairy godmothers but do you really want that bitch to come visit you yeah <laughs> that was my favorite moment she's you know, she's like when she's reading through the message she's like yeah all this seems real sus yeah <laughs> i was like that's me i live right there in that part of her brain just just gonna highlight this whole section in the ebook because that's where i am because those are the questions that i asked but you kind of gave people permission to push back not only against the dominant patriarchy because we should all do that but against mm -hmm. the little encroachment and that people miss you know the ways that like there's the official story and people were so adamant about it and the way that you use that was like really the final element that I was like I like this and mm -hmm. that's why I emailed back I was still in the middle of I think yeah I had just submitted the link and I was like nah I got to I undid the email and added when she talked to me and then resubmitted it <laughs> Like, I don't ask, won't get. Because I wanted people to hear you talk about what you meant and what your intentions were with a little bit more depth than kind of what I've been seeing people talking about your book. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of people, you know, definitely using that that kind of quick pitch where it's, you know, queer black girls and they're overthrowing the patriarchy. And I mean, that's that's definitely true. But I think that this story is about at its at its core is about, you know, what does it mean to exist in a world that tells you that just existing is wrong and not only wrong, but has deadly consequences. And I think that it, it, it also speaks to what we're willing to believe or um, kind of co-sign just so that we can not rock the boat so that things don't get too out of hand. It's about knowing yourself. It's about telling the truth because the Cinderella story within this world is something that gets repeated over and over and over again until people just take it as fact. Um, they don't even stop to question why things are the way they are. And if they did, they would see it falls apart. It's very fragile. You know, if they did for at any time stop to kind of question the narrative, they would see for themselves. But they don't, it, there's this kind of willful ignorance. And I think that this story kind of speaks to how damaging that is. But, it, you know, it's also about, you know, what are you, what are you willing 
willing to risk to change things because it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be, you know, we're just going to ask for what we want and hope they give it to us. Sometimes systems of oppression that are built on these founding tenets of misogyny and patriarchy, sometimes those things have to be, and racism, those things have to be burned to the ground. You cannot, they cannot be fixed. Sometimes they have to be completely dismantled and something else has to, has to rise up in its place. And all of that kind of wrapped within, you know, this kind of reimagined world of Cinderella and what happened after she died and that everything you think you know about that story is a lie. So, so it's, it's all, it's so many different things. And I do hear, a, you know, a kind of boiled down version of, of what it is. And I, I think that it's, you know, that, that kind of quick pitch is enough to kind of be like, okay, let me see what's, what that about but it's it's so much i hope that it's so much more than that oh yeah oh no you there's no need to hope you should know (laughs) we just talked an hour and a half about how so much more than that although if you are a man and you read this book and you get mad at how some of the men in this book act talk to yourself yes talk to your peoples because yes (laughs) that was a checklist of actual personality character traits you can google those phrases and find places Mm -hmm. where real people have said them it almost automatically makes you call to mind people who really exist yeah i'm like yeah i've totally heard somebody say this and i've and that's that's part of the reason why i think it kind of like it just feels like i'm I'm writing it and i'm just like yeah somebody really said this and it seems like it should go into a fantasy story but it yeah somebody a lot of those things are, are legit quotes from people that I've heard um, in my life. But the moments that you gave people in this book, I really want people to read. I really want people to enjoy. They don't have to take from it what I did, you know, and, but but there's just so much here and there are just so many layers. And I was just curious to see where your head was at when you were writing them. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, especially this much time. I wasn't expecting you to give me this much time. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm really enjoying myself. No, this is this is great. I'm, I, I really do appreciate appreciate the opportunity to kind of, you know, go more in depth about, you know, what this story is about, because it really is just people, it's, it sounds, you know, corny as hell, but, you know, people say they write the book of their heart. This really is, this really is the book that I wanted to write. And it really did, um, you know, it really, it really just did everything that I needed it to do. And I'm, I'm very proud of this, this story. Well, you should be proud of it. I'm gonna just keep using people's money to buy them this book (laughs) until, you know, your next book gets here. And then I'm gonna read that one too. No pressure. No question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's coming up. That'll be out next year. And you you know, that little shop of horrors, it's like it's that plus maybe a little bit of like the secret garden. But can I just give you money now? I'm sorry. Yeah. You just, you just <laughs> two of my favorite things ever. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because my brain immediately screams some fun now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I will take two. But uh yeah. <laughs> So yeah. uh, everybody keep an eye out next year because there's another Kaylin Barron book coming. And if you haven't picked up Cinderella is Dead, I don't know what's wrong with you. If this conversation hasn't made you want to pick up Cinderella is Dead, then you need to check your soul because there's a hole there. <laughs> and <laughs> clearly I will be back again on I Talk Shit and Read. And uh, well, I mean, I think I, I think I've talked enough. 